You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. So why don't you jump in this text with me? I'm in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew 6. I'm going to read from verse I'll start at verse 9. How does that sound? Amen? Sorry, Derek. I'll throw Derek off. I told him I wasn't going to do that. I'm sorry, Derek. <laughs> Forgive me. Right? Here he goes. Therefore, you should, not, you should pray like this. Our Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, forgive those, uh, as we also forgive our debtors. I, I'm used to the King James Version. Y'all forgive me. Uh, and do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to you, Lord, just saying thank you, Lord. And we're just reminded today that you are better than anything. There's nothing better than you, O God. Even though the world may try to offer us things, trinkets, Lord, they will never be an adequate substitute for you. And so, Father, I pray for this word. I pray it would fall on fertile soil today. I pray that the people of God will hear the word of God and be deeply encouraged in their souls, that they may know the length, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love that you had for us and how you left the comforts of heaven to come down into this world to save us, God. And so we're just really, really thankful. We pray for all of the hearts and minds in this place. Uh, Keep us. In, your, in the hollow of your hand. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody that agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, listen, um, let's face it, we've all been there where you mustered up the strength to finally write that text message, where you wrote it out and then you rewrote it, then you deleted it, then you rewrote it. And, and this was going to be the text message or email that you were going to send to your significant other or Maybe it was your mentor, perhaps it was a coworker, or a friend, but you know, this is the one where you were finally going to be transparent about how you were feeling. This was the message where you were going to be vulnerable, you were going to be honest, transparent to tell them how you're feeling, all of those things. So you mustered up the strength, and then you sent the message. And then after that, there was like this amazing sign of relief. You were like, whoo, I did it. I finally sent that message. But then that sense of relief quickly turns to a sense of sadness because that person failed to respond. Like, like you, you've got confirmation that they actually see it because you're always, you're always checking their phone. And on top of that, you just saw that 35 minutes ago, they posted on Instagram. So you're like, I know that they saw the message. Because I got a receipt that said that they did. And then, let's be honest, your mind starts to race. Because you wonder, like, am I a priority? I mean, do I matter? Like, like, how come they're not eagerly getting back to me? Don't they know that I just spilled out all of my heart and soul in this message? Are they interested in me? Are they ghosting me? Like, what's happening? What you experience in that moment is the pain of being left on red. It's when you send a message 
You get confirmation that someone receives it, but they did not respond to your plea. And my question today, church, is I know that being left on read by people can be deeply disorienting. I know that it can be deeply upsetting when people leave you on read. But my question today for you, friends, is what do you do when God has left you on read? What do you do when you have been faithfully praying for something to happen? You've been praying, you've been asking God to change situations, and you haven't seen anything happen. What what, what do you do when you've been praying for gainful employment? You've been praying for that budding relationship to finally take off. Maybe some of us in here, sadly, have some chronic diseases, and we're asking God to intervene. Some of us have barren wounds, and we're asking God to open up our wounds so that we can have children. Maybe you're expecting your business to take off, and you've been praying about that day after day, and you've been praying about that wayward child that you want to meet Jesus that went away to college and took a few religion courses, and they got kind of thrown off track. And so now you're praying about all of this. And each prayer that you pray, it seems like God gets more and more silent. What do you do when God leaves you on red? For those who are walking with Jesus, this is really confusing, isn't it? It's really confusing. Because not only have you been praying, but you've been quoting the scriptures back to God, have you not? You said, Jesus, I remember when it says in John 14, 14, That if we ask anything in your name, you will what? Do it. Oh, y'all ain't reading your Bibles today. It's okay. It's okay. Like, you know, you read John 15, verse 7, where it says, If you remain in my words and my words remain in you, you ask what you wish and it will be done. Jesus, you said anything, Jesus. You said any of these things. So how come you're not healing my son? How come my relationships aren't taking off? How is me not having gainful employment to give back to your church and to be a blessing to others not something that's in your will? Right? On top of that, not only have some of us been praying in praying back the scriptures, but we've been praying in Jesus' name too. We will tack on in Jesus' name to anything. Now you know, you know, right, right? Because like if you're not reading the Bible, like Christians often say this thing in Jesus' name. And some Christians use it as like a magical incantation, like, whoop, I'm going to slap it onto this prayer, and it means that God's got to do it, right? But that's not really what it means to say things is, are in Jesus' name. To say something is in Jesus' name was actually a first century development. And what it means is I'm praying in accordance to Jesus' nature, his character, and his will. That's what it means. Like when I say, like, I pray this in Jesus' name, it's like, Lord, I hope that my what matches your why so that it can, be, it can come into being. Right? So, so, so some of us have been quoting the scriptures. We've been patiently depending on the Lord. We have been submitting ourselves to him and praying in Jesus' name, but your prayers still go unanswered. The question is, is what do you do? What do you do? And can we just be transparent and honest for a second? Is that all right? Can we, can we be real? Is that a lot of us have had our, sh- our confidence shattered so bad because we haven't had some prayers answered. We were praying for some really, really important things for God to do in 2021, and none of them come, came to fruition. We were expecting God to open up some magnanimous doors, but nothing seemed to happen. 
And we're like, God, how come you're leaving me on red? And so uh, for the Christians in the house, really, we're going to frame this up. But there might be some skeptics in the place as well. There might be some people who are kind of exploring Christianity, or maybe you're new to Christianity, and you're like, you're probably wondering, like, see, this is why I don't believe in this faith anyway. Because how can God, a loving father, deny the requests or the heartfelt requests of people that he calls his children? Like, ain't these, aren't these the same people, pastor, that pray a lot, are up at 6.30 in the morning on the prayer call, getting called on by Pastor Earn to pray, even though I got my camera off and my camera muted? Isn't that the same people? I'm deep, deep down, I'm Black Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church. I don't do good with that awkward silence. I'm gonna just be, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to run you away from prayer, but I'm telling you, I'm going to pull on a few people. I send text messages. Uh, please send, uh, can you take, take, take that subject, please? Anyway, the skeptic might be saying, like, if God is so good, why does he deny these heartfelt requests from his people? Aren't these the same people that are praying? Aren't these the same people that are given a portion of their income? Aren't these the same people that would rather go to church on Sunday rather than going to brunch? Them, those people? So why would I pray to this God when he doesn't even acknowledge some of the prayers of the people that really, that really love him pray to him? So today what I want to do is I, if that's you, if you're in any of those two categories, I want to let you know I'm so glad that you're here. Because today we are going to tackle what I would describe as the elephant in the room or the most thorny issue in Christianity, and that is, what do I do with my unanswered prayers? What do I do with unanswered prayers? Can I give you a little bit of a roadmap here? Is that all right? I'll give you a little bit of a roadmap. I'm trying something different today. All right, this is what, this is what Jesus' little brother said, okay? This is what Jesus' little brother said. He says, you desire and you do not have, right? You murder and covet, and you do not obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask, right? Listen to this. He said, and you ask, and you do not receive because you ask with what? The wrong motives. The wrong motives. Your wrong motives, right? So this, this what, what Jesus' little brother is suggesting is that the reason many of our prayers don't get answered is because we say that we're choosing certain actions for the benefit of God and others when, in fact, we have selfish motives, or selfish intentions. That, that's just the truth. Like, uh, me included. I'm, I'm gonna, I ain't going to lie to you. I've been praying about a bigger house every day during 21 days of prayer. We've been in the hood a long time. I love the hood. Love Camden. Looking for a little space. Anyway, right? So what we're going to do is, so this is what we're going to do. The first half of this prayer, the first half of this sermon, I'm going to give you four questions. Somebody say four questions. That you can write down to assess the motive of your prayer. So you can assess the motive of your prayer. And then on the back half, I'm going to give you five philosophical reasons why God answers some prayers and he doesn't answer other prayers. Is that okay? Is that a good roadmap? You got that? My type A personality is like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about here. This is what I'm talking about. I need to know, I need to know exactly where we're going if I'm going to pay this, this fellow attention up here. All right, here we go. Let's jump in. So the, you, can get, you can probably guess the sermon title. It's called, When God Leaves You on Red. God leaves you on red. All right, so we pick up in what's called the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus begins with this phrase, give us our daily bread. Now, what you have to understand about this passage, where, where we're at now, is it's something called a hinge. Anybody know what a hinge is on a door that opens it up and closes it? Okay, good, good. So at the top, at the top portion, what you have is a lot of eye-opening spiritual truths. 
You learn that God is your father. You learn that he wants to extend the kingdom through your life and through your lips. You learn that he is an attentional father. Like, we learn all of these beautiful spiritual truths. But on the back end, in the middle of all these spiritual truths, Jesus is asking his disciples to ask for their physical needs. Does that make sense? So, so this is a beautiful, beautiful section because it reminds us that if it is important to you, it's important to God. Right? We can ask him anything that burdens our hearts. I like this because it means that God cares about the little details that are happening in our lives. Like, if you look at the Bible, for example, you will see that people prayed for all type of things. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they prayed that they would have kids, and then when their son was born, they prayed for him. Solomon got a new job. He was a politician and a king in the Old Testament, and he asked God for wisdom. Fathers in the Old Testament prayed for the healing of their kids. Peter even asked Jesus to help him with his taxes. So there's a lot of physical things that you can ask God for. So let me just encourage you, if it's on your heart, pray to your father about it. But the first question we have to ask, here it is, the first question we have to ask when assessing our motives behind prayer is this, is this prayer going unanswered because it's feeding into my incessant need for security? Okay, write that down. Let's get that in your hearts. Is it feeding into our incessant need for security? Let's just be honest. We all want to be comfortable, do we not? We all want to feel secure, and, and whether that comes from our bank accounts or our jobs or our relationships, our grades, our health, security appears to provide us protection from the scary unknown world, right? So what you do is you accumulate money in your bank account or you take on another degree, and the hope is, is that because you have a degree or because you have money in the bank, that that will shield you and protect you from all of the things that might harm you in the future, Right? So, so the context of this passage here, when he says, give us this daily bread, actually points back to a book in the Bible we call Exodus. And Exodus is when God's people were just freed from Egypt, and they're wandering through the desert, right? And I don't know if you know about the desert, maybe you don't know, but there's no Chick-fil-A's in the desert. There's no Han Dynasty in the desert, right? Uh, there's not even any water in the desert, from what I understand. Never been there. Uh, but that's what I understand. There was none of that in the Arabian desert back then. And so God decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to provide food for you. So he gave them something called manna. And manna is like a little Ritz cracker, even though I don't like Ritz crackers. But anyway, it's like a little Ritz cracker with honey on it. And each day they would go out and get enough and they would eat it. And that would supply them for that day. And each day they would go back out the next day and they would eat it. They would collect them as much as they need for that day and they would, uh, they would eat it. But they had a problem. As they, they wondered, well, what happens if the day comes when God doesn't provide for us? So what they decided to do is the same thing that you and I do. We just try to collect stuff. So they try to collect as much manna as possible. Because they're like, if God doesn't show up, I want to make sure that my manna account is fully stocked. So that I'll be protected from the drought and the rain that will eventually come. And what they were looking to do was they were looking for manna to provide the security that only God can. Are y'all hearing me? Right? So, we, so when, Jesus, when God says, look to me for your daily bread, he's saying, I want you to look to me as your sustenance from day to day. Like, like, yes, your accounts are great. We're not knocking financial planning, but I want you to look to me. There's nothing wrong with estate planning. There's nothing wrong with long-term forecasting. But sometimes our prayers are ignored because the things that we're asking God to provide uh, 
Oh, oh, let me get this sentence right because it's a good sentence. Sometimes our prayer can be ignored because we're asking God for things that can provide us with the security that only he can. Does that make sense? Right, right, right. We're praying for all of these future promises. God, can you bless me with a house and a car and a job and a spouse and all these things? And God is like, I just want you to be more concerned with your daily provision. How about we focus on today? Because in the words of Jesus, today's troubles are sufficient on their own. Right? Some of us are worried, like, if I do something dumb, if I do something unintelligent, if I mess up, if I make a mistake. And God is like, I'm less concerned about what you being stressed about the future and more concerned about you thriving today and right now. As one, as one expositor says, he says in John 10.10, Jesus promises the abundant life. Right? We want the abundant life. We, we want to have joy and excitement and, and all these things. But listen to this. Jesus only apply or only gives us the abundant life one day at a time. He doesn't give you future guarantees. But I just want to encourage somebody, listen, focus on thriving today and trust an ever-present and all-sufficient God to protect you tomorrow. So that's the first question. So the first question at hand is, let me, let me go back because it's down on the page. Here it is. The first question at hand is, is this prayer going unanswered because it's feeding into my incessant need for security? Here's the second one. Oh, no, no. I don't want to get to the second one yet. Yeah, I'm going to do this one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. All right. So here, here's another thing that happens. This verse is also pushing back against our self-sufficiency. Right? It's pushing back against our self-sufficiency, right? Because we put too much trust in our degrees, our intellect, our people skills, our connections, and all those things. And the reason that God does not bless us with some opportunities is because he knows that if he does, you will think that your skills got you through the door, not his provision. It's not you. It's, it, listen, listen, it's not you. Like, like, you and I don't have it. We would be nothing without God. Like, like, even though you do succeed, it's because of the air that he's put in your lungs and the blood that he's flowing through your veins and the intellect that he's acquired you to. You had a good family and a great dad that nurtured and reared you. Like, you didn't choose that. You didn't create yourself. It's God that put you in those positions. A lot of times we are not thrust into the positions that we could be is because we have deep-seated pride that makes us believe that we open the door for ourselves. That's what it is. So this verse is saying, no, no, no. Jesus is saying, no, no, I want you to depend on your heavenly father. He provides for you. He's good. He has great intentions. And God is like, listen, I, I, I want to open certain doors for you. But I can't open every door because maybe you don't have the emotional maturity for it right now. Like, I know you think you're ready, and I know you think you're like, I think you got it all together. And it's cool. You do have it together. Like, you look great. Shout out to that. Like, you look great. Like, you know what I'm saying? You've been fasting and praying, you know? You, you're looking good. You're losing weight. This is supposed to be a fast. You treated it like a diet, and so you're looking good now, right? That's the truth, right? Come on. That's the truth. Let's tell the truth. Let's tell the truth. you like, well, I'm going to use this to get in shape, you know what I'm saying? Get my, get my six-pack together. Like, you're looking good. But even though you look good on the outside, look mature on the outside, it doesn't mean that you have the corresponding maturity on the inside. 
And sometimes God doesn't bless us with certain things because we don't have that maturity yet. All right, here we go. So the first question is, is this prayer going unanswered because it's feeding into my incessant need for security? Okay, here's the second one. Is this prayer going unanswered because I'm not confessing my sin? Because I'm not confessing my sin. Okay, all right, here, let me tell you about this real quick. Okay, so, so he says here, forgive us of our debts. Now, we are keenly aware of debt. You know why? Because Americans, on average, are in, are in $90,000 of consumer debt, right? Like, that's the amount of money. Now, let me just tell you what debt is. Debt is the amount of money that you borrow from someone else under, certain, under specific conditions with the idea that you're going to pay it back at another time with interest. So you borrow money for a house or a car, and they say, hey, I'm going to give you the money up front, but on the back end, I want you to pay me this money back, and I want a specific entrance. So this debt is always hiding or hovering over our heads. And that's why I think some of us are so happy that President Biden deferred the student loan payments. Amen, somebody. Because we're like, I was tired of that. Tired of Ambient, Navient, whatever her name, Valiant, whatever her is, tired of Sally Mae, sending me bills. You know what I'm saying? Let me just encourage you to go back and check on that interest, though, right? Because I don't know if that interest accumulates, but just go ahead and check on that, right? So a lot of us are keenly aware of our financial debt, but can I just be honest? We're often not that aware of our spiritual debt. We're often not aware, right? In the words of one best-selling author, imagine if God sent you a monthly statement for all the things you owe him. He's like, you know what? All right, let me get this. Uh, air, they've been breathing air for X amount of years. All right, uh, food, been giving that to them. All right, blood in the veins. All right, like, so I, like, how do I separate this? Like plasma, all right, I'm going to charge them for the plasma. I'll charge them for the white blood cells, the T blood cells. All right, well, I gave them an immune system to fight diseases, so I'll give them that. Okay, they got ingenuity. Oh, they got houses. Oh, that's right, I gave them money. Okay, so you got that bill. And then you have the other bill, like, okay, they sin, which means they miss my mark. <laughs> Check. Uh, they have, they're lawless, so that means that they do what they want to do. Check. Uh, they have iniquity, which means they have this inherited guilt that rots them from the inside. Okay, Check. Um, <laughs> They, they, they have all of these needs. Okay, so, okay, so this bill. So imagine this bill is accumulating every month, and you got this mountain of debt that you cannot pay off, right? And each month it says at the bottom of the bill very clearly that you, you are an eternal debtor, and if you do not pay this bill, I'm going to send you to a place that's hotter than Jamaica on July 4th. Just imagine that for a second. Right? Somewhere very, very hot. But like, unlike the normal credit card companies, I'm so glad that God the Father accepted a third-party payment plan. Didn't he? Like, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took your place. Jesus paid your debt. And the beautiful thing about this portion of the Lord's Prayer is it reminds us of our sinful estate without him. It reminds us of that we have total forgiveness from our debt, past, present, and future. I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. Right? When Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished, he said, tetelestai, which is an accounting term that means that I paid for the sins of the past, the present, and the future. I've got you covered. All you have to do is confess your sins one to another. That's so beautiful. Right? Like, think about that. Jesus gave you this great deal. He says, what I want you to do is repent and say you're sorry. But we fail to do that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of our prayers are going unanswered because we're not confessing our sin to God. How do I know? I got receipts. 
I got receipts. Here we go. Here's my first receipt. Y'all write this receipt down. Isaiah 115. This is what it says. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am what? Not listening. For your hands are full of blood. Proverbs 28, verse 9, second receipt. It says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are what? They're what? When you saw the leg go out, that was your, that was your cue. <laughs> They're detestable, right? Like, if you're not actively acknowledging that you have committed a debt or you had a debt with God and asking him through, to forgive it through Jesus Christ paying for your account on the cross at Calvary, then what happens is you're creating continual separation from him. And if there's hostility with you and God, then it means that those prayers that you have been praying are simply not going to get answered. So a, a prayer of confession is actually a prayer of humility. It's just recognizing that, God, I know I've messed up. I've done some things wrong. I'm sorry that I haven't done this your way. Would you please forgive me? And Jesus is like, boop, paid in full. You're good. That's a great deal, right? So some of the reasons our prayers are not getting answered is because we're not asking God for forgiveness. Can I push in a little bit, a little bit more? You ready for some more notes? Let's go. Here it is. Here's the, third, here's the third prayer. Is my prayer going unanswered because I'm unwilling to forgive? Let me just look at that. that. That says forgive, doesn't it? That does say forgive. Okay, 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 okay. I don't know if this is going to be the amen section, but you can just snap your fingers or say ouch if it hurts, okay? Okay. Uh, ouch already. Why didn't he get to the point? Uh, well, you already know. Okay. Well, you, you want me to skip this point then since, since we already know? Okay, let me go. Let me, let me just go on. Okay. Aren't you so grateful to the grace and forgiveness that you receive from, from God? Right? Now, the same grace that you receive from God is the same grace that he wants you to extend to others. Right? I think the reason that many of us struggle with forgiveness is because we conflate forgiveness with reconciliation. Or we conflate forgiveness with overlooking the offense. That's not what it's saying. Here, let me, let me just kind of explain this. The truth is, is that it doesn't mean that you ignore, diminish, or even excuse the person's sin against you. It doesn't mean that you accept it or approve it. It doesn't even mean that you will go back and you will trust that person again. Because a lot of us think that we got to go back to people that have harmed us and we got to be tight-knit and buddy-buddy again. I I'm sorry, I forgive you, but I don't know if we could just be friends after you threw me under the bus like that. Oh, nobody want to be honest. It's, it's okay. Like I, like, I don't know if we can have the same level of relational connectivity because reconciliation means that you are doing your part to make sure that you never stab me in the back like that again. But forgiveness is saying, you know what? Even though you've done me wrong, I'm going to forgive you from this sin, and I'm not going to pursue revenge against you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go to the cops. That doesn't mean that you don't report it. That doesn't mean that you don't have honest conversation about how they've hurt you. But what you're saying is, God, I'm going to leave this in your hands. God, this offense is yours. God, I'm sorry, my, I'm upset with my baby daddy for not being there for my child, but I'm going to forgive him because you have forgiven me for the many things that I have done to you. You have forgiven the unforgivable in me, and how dare I be bold and arrogant and brashful and not be uh, forgiving right back. Because I guarantee you that that thing that that person did against you is nothing in comparison to what we have done to God. 
nothing in comparison to that. And I'm not saying overlook it. I'm just saying, church, that if you want your prayers to be answered and you want the healing, you want the freedom, and you want to walk with God, and, and you want to experience the abundant life, you are going to have to forgive people that harmed you. Then you have to give a little bit of room when people do say things that rubs you the wrong way. Right? A lot of times we just cut people off as soon as, soon as there's a first sign of them harming us. As soon as the first time. You know what? If you cut off everybody that harmed you, you will live in a room and in a house all by yourself. We brag about cutting people off and they complain about being lonely. Oh, y'all not talking back to me here today. We will cut. I'm like, girl, I'm done with him. I'm done with her. What you doing, what you doing on Friday? Just saying, how you in the house watching Netflix? You don't watch all the episodes of Ozark. You went back and watched Tiger King and all them shows. You in the house bored. I'm just saying you have to give a little bit. This is what Paul says. Paul, uh, who is a, um, a first century church planner in the northeast, in the Mediterranean region of the, of the uh, in the Mediterranean region of the first century. I'm tr- in, trying to work on that. Anyway, this is what Paul says. Paul says you have to give a little bit of room for people to offend you. Give a little bit of room. Now, I mean, a le- there's a leash. You don't have to let them run with the leash. But you got to give some people some room to offend you. And here's another thing. If they offend you, why don't you talk to them about that? Jesus says that if your brother offends you, guess what you do? Go to your brother. If your sister offends you, guess what? Go to your sister. Not write a passive-aggressive text message. Not write some weird, some weird message on Facebook or Instagram. Not get some corny Pinterest coat and put it up on your page. He says, have a conversation because having that conversation is oftentimes going to be much, much more easy than it is if you just let it linger for a long time, okay? Okay, so we got three questions on the board. Let me go to the next one. Here's the fourth one. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's good. I'll give that to the second service. Here's the the fourth question. Is my prayer, get this, going unanswered because I'm not exhibiting spiritually mature behavior during hard times? That's a mouthful, but it's, it's really important. Now, listen, for those who profess faith in Jesus, here's what I want you to know. Guess, guess what? You have a real enemy out there. Sin is real. The devil and his demonic minions are real. They're trying to harm you. Guess what? The world is filled with evil and fraught with temptation. And so Jesus says that we should pray defensively in one regard, that we, that we will be forgiven for sin. But then he says we need to pray offensively as well in advance before for the temptation and the evil that lurks around every corner. Right? So what he's saying is this is just another extension of God's will being done. This is just us saying that God, when evil comes, when temptation comes, I am not going to agree or become disobedient to you. I'm going to continue to follow you. That's what he's saying. Now listen, there is nothing wrong I know, I know it. Some of us pray, Father, don't let any evil come near our dwelling. I'm I'm Christ Baptist Church born, so we would say, nigh your dwelling. I'd be like, well, what is nigh? What what is that? What is nigh? My mom, what is nigh? She gets so upset with me. She gets so upset. Like she said, don't let anything come nigh your dwelling. But here's the thing. Sometimes you're going to encounter evil. You're going to encounter evil. And so what I think we also should pray it's not only that we be delivered from evil, but God, when we come against evil, 
help us to deal with it like with Christ-like character. Like because some of y'all want to stand up to the devil acting like the devil. Yes, you did. Yeah, don't, don't. I know. I know y'all types. I know y'all because I know me. I know me. You be like, you know what? I'm tired of this person. You know, I'm going to cuss them out and I'm going to fight and yell and get angry and holler and do all that. You can't fight the devil acting like the devil. Listen, and I think, I don't, I think God, God doesn't sin evil, but I do believe that God uses evil to chisel you and help create you into the person that he's called you, right? Um, I don't know if I should do this now. Any boxing fans in the building? All right, put your hands up higher. Let me just see if I need to go with this illustration. I got one, two, uh, four, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with it anyway. Thank you for the confidence. I'm going to go with it anyway. All right, okay, you're going to get this. So there's, this, there's a boxer. His name is Canelo Alvarez, right? 31 years old, Mexican fighter. Boy, he could break, beat the paint off a brick if you had him do it. He is in the prime of his career right now. But when he was 23, he fought pretty boy Floyd Money Mayweather. And Floyd Mayweather absolutely obliterated him. Floyd Mayweather is what you call a defensive boxer. So what Canelo, Canelo was throwing his jabs and throwing his punches, and Mayweather had this little technique where he would roll his shoulder and then throw a counter punch. So every time Canelo would throw a punch, he would boop, hit off his shoulder, and then punch him in the face, right? And so he eventually lost. And then so there was another guy he fought when he turned 31 named Caleb Plant. And Caleb was like, yo, I'm going to use the same technique that Floyd Mayweather was doing. So in the first round, Canelo's throwing punches, and Plant is like rolling his shoulder. And then Canelo was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've just seen this strategy before. <laughs> and one thing is not going to happen here is you're not going to beat me with the same strategy. Now, I might get beat with another one. But I'm not going to get beat with the same strategy. And so what Canelo did is every time Plant threw a punch, he somehow put his hand down. I don't remember what exactly what it was, but it, all I know is he beat the strategy. And what I'm saying is, is that I think the same thing is applicable to your life with Jesus and your fight with the devil flesh in the world. Some of us are getting beat by the same strategy time and time again. He's just like, devil's like insecurity, boop, pride, boop. Anger, boop, all of that each time. And I'm just here, God saying, I need you to put your feet, put your hands up, pivot, throw your punches, bob and weave, put your foot on the, on the rock of the gospel, bob and weave on prayer, and throw you some punches with some of the things I've given you. I, I might get beat sometime, but I ain't going to get beat the same way. You're not going to whoop me with the same right hand lead each time. And I just feel like some of us are just getting beat with the same thing over and over again. I know that we fight with sin on a daily basis, but Satan is just throwing the same tricks at you. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered. I don't even remember the point here. I'm glad you wrote it down. I'm up here sweating. Oh, God. Oh, man. What's, what's the point? Oh, spiritually mature. Baby. Oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. Here's what I wanted to say. Jesus, I got to go outside and talk to the folk that dip out really early, and now I'm sweating. <laughs> Jesus, all right. Okay. What is, what, hold on, I lost my point. Oh, okay, okay. So sometimes God leaves us in the same situations over and over again and doesn't answer our prayers because he's trying to develop our emotional and spiritual maturity while we're in the situation. 
When you continue to exhibit the same behavior over and over again, God often leaves you in that situation until you learn how to have a spiritually and an emotionally mature response to hardship. Right? All right, let me give you these few reasons, why, some other reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. Is that cool? Okay. Now, I will tell you, I, I pulled these points from the best book on this. It's called God on Mute by Peter Gregg. The points are so good that I just elicited them and kind of embellished them to my own, uh, for, for the purpose of this sermon. And so here's the first one. Here's the first one. Here's a, why unanswered prayer, number one, lack of common sense. Lack of common sense. Not that's not my words, it's his. Now, lack of common sense. I don't, I know, I, I feel confident in saying that Ernest Grant has prayed some prayers that has totally upset the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Ghost in them night up there just like, oh, God. Holy Spirit, get your boy. Get your boy. Get him. He praying them same prayers again. He praying the same prayer again. Right? I remember I was eight years old. I was a wrestling fan. Any wrestling fans in the building? All right, six of us. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Anyway, I was a wrestling fan. I remember there was this wrestler. His name was the Ultimate Warrior. He would get in the ring, and he'd shake the ring, and i say, God, when I get older, I want an earring, big muscles, uh, flowing hair, and white skin, just like that, God. <laughs> I just know. So the Holy Ghost up there like, boy, this boy, you sure you want to save him? You sure? You sure? Sometimes, listen, sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer. I'm going to tell you, this is what Peter Gregg said, because they're dumb prayers. It just don't make sense. Right? That was a dumb prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at me first. It's a dumb prayer, right? That's number, okay, here's number two. Number two. Why unanswered prayer? Number two. They're contradictory. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has 7.7 billion children? And that each of them are asking for prayer, the same thing often at the same time? And that if God answers a farmer's prayer for rain on one side of the town, that he can be denying a bride's request for a nice wedding, nice weather at a wedding on the other side of town? Right? This, this is what happens. Right? That, that's number two, right? Here's number three. The laws of nature. The laws of nature. Right? This is what C.S. Lewis says, and I think it's a really good quote. He said that God can and does on occasion modify the behavior and matter and produce what we call miracles is part of the Christian faith. But this very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare. Here's what I want you to understand. When you ask God to do certain supernatural things, you're asking him to reverse the laws of nature at times. And though it may be a miracle for you, it might turn into a mess for somebody else. Because one man's miracle is often someone else's mess. Right? Okay, let me give you the fourth reason. This is one of my favorite right here. This is the fourth. Uh, why unanswered prayer? Because life is tough. Because life is tough. Can I be your seminary professor for 35 seconds? Please. It'll be engaging. All right? Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. It causes all of us to have a sin nature, which just means that we're missing the mark, right? Like a golfer is trying to swing at the ball, he's missing the mark, right? It means we're missing the mark. 